This is Just Leading, where we're thinking differently about leadership within and beyond the Jewish world. Each episode, we talk to someone whose life's work is leadership. Someone who's redefining what it means to be a leader. But before we look to outside experts, we want to explain who we are and why you should join us for this quest for better ways to lead. Today, we're introducing ourselves, your three co-hosts, and talking about what draws us to this work. Hello, I'm Gali Cooks. I'm president and CEO of Leading Edge. Leading Edge is an organization focused on developing leaders, talent, and great workplace cultures in the Jewish nonprofit sector. And about six years ago, we were founded by a collaborative of donors and funders in the Jewish world to make sure that the Jewish community had a robust and plentiful pipeline of leaders who were able to lead it to the 21st century. This is my third startup. I believe this will be my last. I don't have it in me to do more. Uh, And it's been an unbelievable ride. It has been one of the most fulfilling ventures to try and figure out how we can make the time that adults spend at work, which is the majority of their hours that they're awake, actually be meaningful. According to Gallup, we know that 80% of professionals who work at jobs are either not engaged in their work or actively hate their work. And that's just a travesty. And if we can work to make that every day a little bit better by making the kinds of practices and policies and procedures and just behaviors that we know enable people to thrive, that's really the core of the work and that's what I find so meaningful. My name is Yolanda Kaufman. I am the executive director and part of the founding effort of the Jews of Color Initiative. We center the experiences and perspectives of Jews of color, recognizing the Jewish community's racial and ethnic diversity in the United States and having that be deeply, not only felt, but understood as an asset. Um, We help leaders understand that this is not an intellectual exercise. This train has already left the station and this is not about like when the U.S. Jewish community will be multiracial, but when will the U.S. Jewish community ecosystem understand itself as multiracial? My name is Ilana Ween, and I'm the executive director for the SRE Network. SRE stands for Safety, Respect, Equity. Um, We launched three years ago when the Me Too movement was going viral, and there were important stories coming forward in Jewish workplaces and communal spaces Um, particularly of women who had experienced harassment, discrimination, and abuse in Jewish spaces. Since that time has expanded to really have this broader focus on how we can create safe, respectful, equitable workplaces for all, and also delving into what real authentic gender justice um, with an intersectional lens might look like in both our community and in wider society. Each of our episodes, we are interviewing somebody who we really admire, right? We're interviewing somebody who engages with us in this very dynamic conversation about leadership, around equity. We're going to get to hear from rabbis. We're going to get to hear from CEOs, executive directors, elected officials. And each one of the people we talk with has an experience of informed by perseverance, maybe, informed by tenacity, maybe, and some sort of deep well of sort of core values. There's something about the power of being in somebody's ears with a podcast that we're hoping that will enable 
us to peel away different layers of stories and maybe people will see parts of the folks' stories that we're going to be interviewing and telling in themselves and wondering how that will sort of weave together as we try to, yeah, widen the, I think, aperture of what we think of as leadership, what we think of as equity, what we think of as our community and our society. I love that because I think, you know, with our mutual commitment to leadership and equity, I think a very powerful frame of equity is boiling it down to access and and who's having access to what ideas and resources and platforms. And I know that creating this with you all has been such an inspiring and powerful experience that I'm really excited for people that are going to get to listen to these different sessions and hopefully get some some grounding and inspiration and new ideas. And selfishly, I'm also doing it for myself as a leader who's looking for those opportunities to connect and continue to learn and continue to ground myself. I think that we're in this time where there are just so many examples of where the kind of social contract has kind of failed us, that we don't have the kinds of supports on a societal scale that are really needed to take care of us in in all different ways. And it's a pretty powerful thing for three nonprofit leaders to set out to actually create something that can help give folks a sense of of interconnection and grounding and re-up that commitment to access and equity. What's come up for you around your own leadership styles? Like, how are you thinking about your own leadership styles? How are you thinking about your own leadership approaches? Um, what makes a good leader? Are you a good leader? Are we good leaders? Let's talk a little bit about our own leadership if we want. Something that came up for me with both of the folks that I interviewed, Shifra Bronsnick and Tina Chen, was the question of pacing in leadership. Many people who have worked for me over the years would say that pacing isn't exactly one of my strong suits. <laughs> one thing I think the pandemic has taught a lot of us, you know, those of us who are used to being on planes to three or four cities every week or, you know, running from one thing to another, now trying to pace and self-care, which is something my old boss, Mrs. Obama, used to caution me about all the time or on self-care, is a forced lesson that I think many of us have had to learn over the last 10, 11 months. And it's something that I continue to be challenged by of how to assess the right pace in which to approach the work to ensure that you're building on momentum and making, you know, concerted gains and also doing things in a way that's sustainable and, you know, deeply rooted. I love that. I think the thing that came up for me is just like leadership is so human. Like we forget that people are people, like our organizations are made up of people, that a leader is a person, like we're not perfect, we really aren't robots, and so we're just striving. And so when we think of the unit of change, like if we're talking about macro change or society needs to change, a person needs to change as a first step of it. There can be different inducements, different incentives, and different ways in which you can get someone to change. So in speaking with the new, thinking about like some of the almost indirect and unconscious ways in which that almost like keep you paralyzed from changing without you even knowing it? I think I was activated to look inward more and begin to heal my own like internalized racism and what I, the kind of expectations I had for myself. I never thought I could be a leader or 
leadership for me was always like white male. And it's been a journey <laughs> to redefine that. So like, let's like have that be at least like a base understanding because we forget that. I, f- I know that I forget that. And that means that like leadership is lonely. People need people. How do you foster that community for yourself? Leadership, especially during a time of COVID where there's no playbook, no matter who's selling you it, they're total, there's total bullshit. There's no playbook here. That means that you have to pace yourself, Ilana, to your point. Like there's certain things that are like you're a human first. So if you actually don't have your cup of coffee and like your Cheerios in your stomach, I just gave my daughter Cheerios, whatever. Like you're not actually going to do the best in the meeting, you know? So those are the types of things that come up for me, which I struggle with daily, if not hourly. Do you know where I learned that, by the way? Like my first job out of school was in diplomacy because I was like, oh my God, we could solve this Middle East peace thing. No problem. Give me two months. I got this, right? Because... I was a student leader and I could do anything in the hubris of youth and all that kind of stuff. And I remember this was like right around like 2000. And so it was like Oslo and Clinton and whatever. And I remember there was something that happened where Boris Yeltsin, who at the time was, you know, the leader of Russia, his plane was on the tarmac and he wasn't exiting the plane for some sort of like trilateral talks because he was drunk. And so he made the other world leaders wait like 10 hours or something until he slept it off. And if you looked at the press reports, one could see that what you were writing was that today's meeting with President Bill Clinton was going to be a disaster. Так вот, не первый раз я вам говорю, что вы провалились. Well, now for the first time I can tell you that you're a disaster. And those talks failed. Now, people were really into him, but they were like, he made me wait 10 hours because he had too much vodka. Are you kidding me right now? And I was like, oh my God, that's right. Peace is made by people. Like, peace is made. I would be annoyed if someone was 10 hours late for a meeting that, that, you know, with like, it was unbelievable to me. And I'm sitting here thinking like, oh, like as a black woman, I could never get away with that. And I'm like, all the technical like things that are happening oh my god you know I, and i 100%. thought like the remedy of course was for boris yeltsin of course to invite everyone to join him so that at least they could be drunk together and then they could sleep it off but yeah no wait, right. yeah but i'm like sitting here looking at all the equity lenses around i had a professional experience once that really like informed me as a leader and my boss we, we had a big 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 event with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And he came and he was, I could smell the, the wine on his breath and watched him work the room in a way that was just like, there was a certain kind of permission that everyone gave him. And it was a kind of permission I realized I never wanted. And then I've had other experiences where the, like the presidents of foundations and like have been a little, you know, a little like, just a little, like a little bit probably. Off. Yeah, I guess. I'm trying to be generous where it's like, I just don't ever want to go out like that. You know, like if I'm going to, if I'm going to fail or if I'm going to fall, like I want to do it on my own physics, you know? A lot of what we're talking about is, is leadership, but you know, just leading, you know, doing it from a lens of justice, from equity. And there's a distinction between, you know, different kind of leadership styles or methods or strategies. And some of these are, you know, 
time tested and it's important for folks to have access and, and learning and education around that to have that information, but also to take a step back. And I think the biggest shift that's happening in our community and that's being mirrored in larger society is understanding that this isn't about fixing individual people, but about fixing an inequitable system. And so I just love, Alana, what you were sharing and that sense of, you know, folks who have historically had permission to do certain things and realizing, you know, when you come into a certain role or as you're evolving in your leadership, that's not a life goal for you to be able to have that kind of, of permission to engage in inequitable behavior and just that distinction and what it would look like if that went from an idea or something that a certain group of people that are, are, are trying to put forward to something that became a deeply held value in our Jewish community and wider community, that it's not the people who are broken, it's the system, and what kind of openings that might provide us to actually make meaningful change, you know, arm in arm. I agree. And I also am sitting here thinking to myself, like, as a as a leader who continues and hopefully works hard to continue to grow and develop, I also want to be careful to not make my own world too small. Right. And I want to make sure that I don't like, I don't set up my standard against the standard of somebody against whom I should not be measuring myself. I have the benefit of having a very diverse team and being with very diverse colleagues, but like beyond sort of my little nucleus, I work in intensely white spaces where the modeling for what it means to be like a black Jewish woman, you know, there's like not a lot of role models in there. Um, and one can get confused that those who are there are, are, are modeling the behavior and the ways of being and the approaches that are universal versus particular. And I think as leaders who are queer, leaders who are women, leaders who, um, who get to express and expand in different ways, it's so important that that container of our expression and expansion be defined by us and informed by us versus like dominant practice and standards. How do you all check yourself against that? The most difficult moments for me in my leadership have been where I've been in a situation in which it was very clear to me what was expected in terms of how I showed up and handled a particular issue. And as I was going through the motions of mirroring what I knew was expected of me, I felt that disconnect that kind of feeling that you get in your gut where it's not aligned with who you are and your values. And I feel like there's moments when that happens, when you're able to distinguish, this is a moment where I'm, I'm trying something or I'm exploring something or I'm doing something that will actually help me. It will help my growth. It will help my access. It'll help me advance in a way that's important to me. And this is a moment in which I'm actually feeling too pushed between who I actually am and represent versus what I'm being asked to do and represent. And are you able to notice that like in the moment or is that like, oh, I'm, I'm about to do something. It's like, like premeditated. You know, what's fascinating. I, I, the way that I experience that in the moment is more of like a drop in my, in my gut, but the biggest learning opportunities is post and it's actually getting feedback 
And I think that that's why in leadership, it, it gets hard as you advance in your career to get honest feedback from colleagues and, and folks that you manage in particular, but why those moments when you do are so eye-opening when you get some of those questions like, we're kind of curious about why you took that approach, Ilana, that's not feeling exactly like our sense of you and what you're about. And those are the moments that stick with me that I unpack later. And I think that they're they're not frequent. They're these little gems that your colleagues give you to further your own leadership um, journey. But it's a choice because, you know, I, I feel strongly I wouldn't have gotten to a senior leadership role running my own nonprofit, in my case, just on the cusp of turning 40, if I had not made some decisions as a queer white Jewish woman to be able to bend with the different kind of norms and expectations that were set out for me. So I think trying to find that balance where you're pushing the envelope, but also able to have meaningful influence, I think it's a tricky place. And there's a lot of encouragement to, to, to blend in. People put a lot of energy into trying to make me, make people of color, make Black people assimilate into white contexts in our community is no different. Um, it comes in how people try to shape our language. It comes from when I've been in professional settings and I'll say something like racism and they'll say, no, you mean bias. And I'm like, no, I don't mean bias. Like, I mean racism. I mean, I've had, I've, I have had professional experiences where I have been told by my supervisors not to use language like that and to actually like step back, right? For white people to tell black people to not use the term racism when racism is racism, like is one of the most racist, oppressive experiences to sit in. And so the expectations of assimilation are very intense, particularly if you're biracial, particularly if you have an Ashkenazi background in our context, because like people... They experience kind of wafts of familiarity that confuse everybody for being the same. And so for me, I have had to work really, really, really hard to make better choices. So I don't find myself in situations where I've put so much energy into like framing myself a certain way or presenting myself a certain way or kind of contorting myself into some sort of like package that is exact, that like I can't manage it all. And so at some point I'm going to slip up and it might be nobody might see it or everybody might see it, it might be teeny. But like the more we contort ourselves, the more predisposed we are to like popping out of that shape in an uncontrolled and unmanaged way. And that's, that's not good for anybody. And so like I have, I've had executive coach for years, different ones at different times, but like working really hard to only say yes to things that I want to say yes to, because otherwise they corrode me inside. Right? And so like my work can't be good. And if my work can't be good, I can't bring joy to my team or, you know, like, and so Part of the intervention for me comes from trying to retrain myself as a Black woman to, to steep myself in joy. I really admire the way that you occupy the space that you are given. I really do. I've learned more just by watching like how you, you know, gently push back and then not so gently in, in different ways. And then just like, you know, state the obvious in ways that are like, yes. 
that's normal, but we don't do it that way. I think there's a, there's a certain confidence without hubris that you exercise that I find refreshing and a real model, like really, really. And almost like a fearlessness, I think. And I don't know, that's how I read it. And I think that's leadership. Whenever you're, you're trying to induce, cajole, well, I don't even know what the right verb is. Whenever you're trying to lead someone in a way that it's not my style to drag you along. I don't think that works ever. At least not in the work that we're doing. That's going to be a short-term thing, not a long-term thing. And I think that's that's where it feels like, I know I only have a number of chits. I'm not going to use my chit on that. I'm not going to die on that mountain. That doesn't make any sense to me. Oh, what an amazing discussion. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and thank you all for tuning in to this first episode of Just Leading. Next week, you'll hear from our first one-on-one -on -one discussion with Ana Lucia lopez Reveredo, PhD, dreamer, amazing executive director and CEO and leader in our community. You can't go because you're technically not allowed to be here in the United States. And if you go, you might not be able to come back. And I, I mean, it was just, I, I, it, it all hit me all at once and I really didn't understand what he meant. Just Leading is supported by the Harry and Jeanette Weinberg Foundation. It's produced by Wonder Media Network and Ariella Markowitz. For more information on the organizations we work for, check out the Jews of Color Initiative at jewsofcolorinitiative.org, the SRE Network at srenetwork.org, and Leading Edge at leadingedge.org. Are you obsessed with podcasts and also uplifting women's voices? Then join Alexandra Cole each week on her new podcast, The Pod Broads. You'll hear unfiltered conversations with women in the podcasting industry about their personal and professional journeys and how the two intersect. It's time women in podcasting get the recognition they deserve on a major scale. And one way to do that is to start listening. So subscribe and follow the pod broads wherever you get your podcasts.